Hi, this is Pip Adam. Welcome to Better Off Red. This is episode 75, which is the third of our 10-part sound series where I talk to writers and artists about their work in relation to sounds they have chosen. Um, this um, season has been made possible through Creative New Zealand Toy Aotearoa funding and we're very grateful for that. Thank you very much, Creative New Zealand. You're awesome. In this episode, I um, speak with Amon Mara and um, Cookie Amy M, aka um, Amy M Cookie, um, about sound objects they have chosen. And I have this, I don't want to tell you what those sound objects are. Um, I don't think I'm being facetious. I just think it would be quite fun to listen to the podcast. You'll hear both sounds um, completely um, in the podcast and Amon and Cookie will introduce them to you so you will um, get to know the sounds. It's just that... um, when we met, Amon had sent us his sound object, but we neither Cookie nor I knew what it was. And it kind of made for quite a cool experience listening to it and then hearing Amon talk about it. So, um, yeah, listen along. Um, Cookie and Amon will also introduce themselves. Um, that'll happen when I stop talking. Um, there is an exercise at the end of the conversation which you are welcome to respond to and if you are willing you might be interested in sending us the results of that exercise. Um, There's information on our website better-red.com where you can find out how to get us those um, sound um, recordings and responses to the exercises. We are quite looking forward to doing a showcase of these at the end of the season. So that would be awesome. So who else do I need to thank? So many people. First of all, obviously, Cookie and Eamon. It was an amazing conversation. Very grateful um, for it. Also, would like to thank um, Michael King Writers Centre, which is where I'm recording this now with the um, big ginger cat that lives here. Um, I also want to thank Brent McIntyre for the theme music, the music that starts the podcast and also completes the podcast. And I think that is everyone. Obviously, I want to thank everybody for being awesome, especially you for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, So yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, gosh, it's so nice to see you both. It's so great to see you both. Um, I was wondering, um, like, let's leap straight into it, and I wonder if you would be willing to maybe introduce yourselves, however you see introducing yourself as. And um, should we start? Eamon, do you want to start? Yep. So I'm Eamon Mara. I'm mostly a writer now, uh, occasional comedian and performer, and have done some theatre stuff in the past as well. Awesome. Thanks, Eamon. Um, Cookie. <laughs> Hi, kia ora. I'm Cookie, um, also known as Amy. Um, I am a musician and a project, a solo project called Strange Stains, and I do theatre and work in film, and yeah, that's and like to do art and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Always forget what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I think that's what's so exciting about having you both here is that, um, like, yeah, like that's something I've noticed doing these interviews is that so many of us are not one thing anymore. Well, I don't think it's anymore either because like when you look back in the 60s and 50s, you know, everyone was doing everything and, you know, I think it's it's very exciting to have you both here. I'm really excited about it. Now, you both generously provided a sound um, for us to talk about today and I wonder, Cookie, if we could start with you, um, the sound that you um, bought for us today. Yes, um, so I chose um, the sound, when you said to, yeah, pick a sound, I have been thinking about the bath sound, when you, when the water goes down from the plug and then it makes the sound of it going through the plug.
Um, it was my most feared sound when I was a kid, and it was interesting. I found it... Um, so it would be, like, associated with such a nice thing, like having a bath, and you're like, yay. I was an only child, so I was always, like, in the bath for ages, and then we'd just be like, right. <laughs> get all my clothes, get all the things before the witch comes. <laughs> like, leave the room, be like, ah, oh And could still hear it, like, down the hall, just like, no. And it was, like, it was associated with, like, the flashing of the toilet and, like, there was a witch or something, a demon in the water pipes that would, and it was obvious because of that sound. Like, it's really just <laughs> there and... It's interesting now I felt like that like anxiety or fear came like went through into like adulthood and I was still doing that for ages until like recently I was like you know superwoman posed and was like no I'm standing here <laughs> and then now I was like oh, I kind of love that sound now and it's like it's real interesting like oh it could be yeah used in film or like is like a scary like thing but I was like how many things of that how many sounds like that are associated or things in my life are associated with like the same kind of thing that's become this massive fear that isn't real <laughs> <laughs> awesome man you actually yeah I you brought back some really terrifying moments for me as well yeah thank you for that. No, it was really great because I think um yeah we'll talk about that later but the idea of listening to it out of context was really interesting for me as well now Eamon I you sent a song and I can hear some clean lyrics in there and I feel like a terrible New Zealander that I don't know what the song is
Yeah, so uh, I chose it because I, I was, I've been going through my iTunes recently and basically just deleting everything that I can easily find again because I'm trying to I have I had like a hundred gigs of music and I was trying to like get that down to a smaller number um, and then as I was going through I was looking for the song that is probably the least likely to be to, to, for anyone else to have it that was like at one stage publicly available so I there's a pretty good chance that 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 recording or that that like mp3 like that i was the only one in the world that had that when i sent it in and um there are two other people that i think may have it one is the person who made the song and the other is my friend fran who's a sort of digital hoarder <laughs> that was in the same uh, sort of scene as i was at the time yeah. So, are you going to let us know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, it was um, a, song, a song called Clean by a project called The Jelly Tips, which was a project of Joseph Harper's. So, Joseph Harper uh, is, he's like someone who's like incredibly influential in my life. Like, he played in a band called Black Market Art when I was in high school. And then he started doing comedy and theatre and he did it in sort of a way that I really wanted to do. And that's kind of why I started doing comedy in theater. And he also, he had a blog and then like, I liked his blog. So I started a blog, which is kind of why I started writing. So he's like incredibly influential in my life. This song came out, I think it came out in 2007. And I was in Denmark at the time as an exchange student. And I was getting like massive FOMO about the like Christchurch music scene. And by like the music scene, it's like the all ages music scene. And yeah, and Joseph released this song, so I would have downloaded it from MySpace then, and it's stayed with me across many devices since then. This um, yeah, the song Clean, and when it came out, I didn't know the Clean, um, so I like didn't even recognize all the like song names of the Clean. And then it was only about like six months later when I came back to New Zealand and then started exploring like Flying Nun stuff and things like that that I kind of realized the the joke. Uh, in it but I yeah I just really liked it and yeah I think Joseph only played maybe three shows under that name one of which I was the only audience member at so I sat up on stage with him and he played a show to me that is so cool (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) so like when I think about both these sounds that you've chosen they both seem to be like sounds that have um they have a context and that context has kind of shifted and, you know, like you're, you're bringing something different to it each time you sort of come to it. And I wonder if sound is particularly, like in the, in the, in the other um, interviews we've been talking a wee bit about how sound's like a time machine. But I feel like what you're talking about is something slightly different. It's like... A, a memory in that way that every time we remember something we reimagine it I don't know like have you got any thoughts about that yeah because it is that thing eh? yeah my one um it does feel like that like it's like a, it's become from a fear to a curiosity which is like yeah it's changed the whole memory in my head yeah yeah what about like I mean this idea that you could be in a different place and listen to something and do you think listening to it in a different place changed your relationship to the stuff or do you think that it was more that the song was a gateway back to another time I think like I when I was in high school like discovering the like all ages music scene when I was about 15 like really changed like everything about me like I suddenly got more interested in the arts and things like that and then leaving that scene like it was really hard even though it was cool I was going on exchange overseas for a year but um so I think because of that I did I listened to everything that came out every and you know being high school musicians people would often throw a song up on MySpace or create a new MySpace account and put a song up on it and that's basically what this project was I don't think it was like never a serious band or anything but I would listen to all of it and download all of it. And this is probably one of the only ones that is like that I've managed to keep throughout mm. the years. 
I want to sort of, like I'm jumping all over the place, but I was thinking this idea of being able to readily share music, like, I mean, it's huge, isn't it? And like, I mean, it's so great to have access to Strange Stains. And I'm wondering, do you, do you have thoughts about that? Like, um, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting you saying that and being like, I wonder who, because you never think that who is going to download it or like who, yeah. When you're putting up a song, you're just like, yay, it's it's done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and never think of like who might, or like, yeah, you, I feel like you don't go as far as like thinking who's going to appreciate it. And it's always a surprise when someone has done that. You're like, oh, great. It's, yeah. Yeah. And what I think what's really interesting about this one is like MySpace managed to lose all its music files a few mm. years ago. Mm. And Places like Bandcamp, like I had a band in 2008 and we put some stuff up on Bandcamp and it's still there. And like, it'll probably be there for a long time. I don't, I don't know if Bandcamp will ever decide to, you know, delete, delete, the... delete the, all the old stuff or stuff that hasn't been listened to for years or things like that. But there is always a version of it out there. But with the MySpace stuff, there's not. And there's probably thousands of recordings that have like uh, no longer exist because mm. of that. I think that's really interesting, especially since we kind of take the internet for granted as like a backup and this idea, like once you put something on the internet, it's there forever, but it's not it's like, not. yeah. and like the other thing is like, is that okay? Like, is it, did, did much of value get lost in that? Like clearly, like, I think, I think it did, but like if, if I deleted the song when I was clearing out my iTunes, like would anyone else in the world ever care about that like because joseph went and did a whole lot of other songs he's done so many other projects i don't know how much he cares about this one specific song um there were two songs on the myspace and i chose this one because the other one was written about a friend of his and i think that she might still have that or it might be in an email somewhere or something like that but this one probably isn't this idea of like ephemeral you know like something that weird contradiction with the internet that, you know, it's there, but it's not there. I was thinking it kind of ties into this idea of recording the sync, the bath sound, you know, like, because when you said that, I got the email and I sort of had this weird recording of it in my brain, you know, like it was like, <laughs> oh yeah, I know what that sounds like. But then to make it concrete, is that, yeah, like this growing curiosity that you've got with with that sound is that the first time you've recorded it yeah yeah always wanted to record it but yeah have never which is interesting eh because you do that thing of having it on line and you do feel like you're like ha ah, it's there forever now like I've downloaded my own songs because I've lost them on my computer or my hard drive's broken or something and I'm like I don't have those songs. <laughs> no one has. <laughs> Only the internet. <laughs> and like the communities that grow up around that as well. You know, that's what I think is really interesting as well. Is um, you know, and I mean, it, I mean, I feel like music has often been this community builder. You know, like I think about like pre-internet. You know, we would you know, you'd go to a show every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night and someone would sell you a cassette, maybe, you know, um, someone might have gone and, you know, had some expensive recording time or recorded something in their thing. But these communities seem to grow up around music. Do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah, like the community is lost. Like we, you know, growing up going to Zebedee's in Christchurch, which was kind of the hub of this all ages scene, you could, I could go there any Friday or Saturday night that there was a band playing and there would be like 75 to 100 people there. And I don't think that exists anymore because we don't need to go to a physical space to find a community. And that's what was kind of interesting for me during lockdown as well. Like um, the, those um, melted ice cream live streams that were sort of coming through our TVs and like it was so strange to and completely enjoyable <laughs> to sort of sit in my lounge and watch something and know that other people were watching it and that it was happening live and yeah it's it's a really interesting thing eh because you you I was thinking um I'm pretty sure the last time I saw you play might have been at Newtown no oh yeah that was the last time I played was at the Newtown Festival yeah. Which was so bizarre because it felt like it was, yeah, just pre-lockdown and 
everyone was like, should this be happening? But and then, but it was really great that it did happen. Like, yeah. And like, so what does that mean? Like, when you take your music and take it to a place, you know, like, because we've talked about venues and stuff like that, but when you take it to a place like the Newtown Fair, sort of like the space that is normally used for cars and everything is suddenly a music venue and it's outside and it's sunny and, yeah, what's that like? Such a treat. It's like I've found it really interesting with music because it has been a real, like, because it's a solo project, like, I like to play with other people but it just hasn't, happened yet <laughs> but yeah because I'm just always in my room and I'm like yay just like playing and you're like oh, you never think of the end product being in front of all these people that you have to be like la la and I love theatre and I love performance but it took me ages to get used to that side of it like it's it was really exposing and yeah you feel like you're all the stuff that you're like just playing for yourself suddenly is outside or like in public but the Newtown Festival was like it was yeah it was always a surprising treat because no one has to come no one's like paid or like you know I was all, I was like oh wow there's people here <laughs> <laughs> yay <laughs> oh they're dancing oh this is great and then you're like oh this yeah it's just a real treat it's like a little yeah and you also, I mean, one of the big things that I love about what you do is um, there are quite a few videos. Like, do we still call them music videos? I don't Yeah. I, yeah. I, I yeah, okay, yeah. let's <laughs> call them that. But, you know, and I'm wondering about that part of the project, you know, to put um, images to music. Like, how does that work for you? Do you produce oh, those so yourself? Or yeah. Do, oh, great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've my friend Dan Harris has... Um, filmed and edited one of my um, videos but um, it was like a lot of yeah it was like my ideas and and also I edited part of it and then like passed it on to him when I couldn't <laughs> couldn't do it and um, I love it I love doing that yeah I want to do more and more I think it's a real exciting like um, potential to yeah, do a little like mini video uh, film or whatever. Yeah, and I think like with a lot of your work, they're not well, they're not immediately kind of narrative. You know, like they're not immediately a story as such. And then, so how do you go about visualizing it? Yeah, I know that sounds stupid, but I always think we've been joking a bit about the pina colada song, you know, like, which is like, oh, I put in a, you know, thing, I go for a drink, da, da, da. But how do you, so in your mind, do the images come along with the music or? Sometimes, like there's a video that I'm making at the moment and it's about people catcalling, like outside of the car, which is like specifically in the lyrics and then the narrative is, specifically that where I'm a bogan in the car with a pie yelling outside. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, but that's the first narrative that's been connected to a song that I've written but yeah the other ones have just been because quite often my lyrics are like just well they're for other people but they're like can be a situation that happened but it's almost like a poem where it's like I only know the real meaning. So then, yeah, the videos have just come from, like, the theme of that, but then they've just been stuff that I want to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, they're so great. I love them so much. Um, I'm on with this idea of narrative, sorry, and, and maybe performance as well, because, I mean, I don't know what it means. We've had quite a few poets up until this point, and you know, like we've talked about the importance of maybe reading poetry out loud. Um, you and I write fiction, but you also write stuff that is designed to be read out loud. And I just wonder about, you know, this kind of performance. You know, like I think that maybe writers are expected, especially fiction writers maybe are expected to do readings occasionally. And I wonder, and you read your entire book, you know. Yeah. And I just wonder how you feel about those two things coming together. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. I think I have like 
almost the exact opposite experience of you where like most of what I've done like publicly has been comedy which you kind of develop on stage as you're doing it like you get an idea and you go up on stage and you form it and you keep going up and you get feedback instantly and like constantly and uh like you you know how it's going and you know how people are appreciating it and you can see things like ticket sales or how many people are in the crowd whereas putting out the book like you know i did get feedback from some people but you know the most overwhelming feedback is just nothing you don't get yeah. you don't get anything you don't yeah. know how, how people are reading it or anything like that and there's some stuff on the internet like like people will tweet about it or they'll do like a goodreads review or something but usually it's just nothing and that was a very strange and different experience yeah that must be it must it would be quite anxiety provoking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it is and, and even like my early writing was all on a blog and you got comments and you saw like Google analytics and yeah, all of that kind of stuff. So you did get a bit more of a sense when it was just online, but yeah, with a real life book, you don't really get anything. Yeah. You would have just found that. Wouldn't yeah, you? yeah. 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 It just, it really does feel like that. It's such a strange experience. And like, I don't know, I'm really interested in other people's experiences of reading out loud. Like I don't, I don't, do much reading in front of people I, I just have really bad nerves and yeah like have to <laughs> every part of me wants to run away <laughs> and I'm sure you know I don't know I'm sure other people feel the same way I'm not special but I just wondered are you ever surprised when you read it in front of a crowd like yeah I mean I quite like reading it mm. in front of a crowd um like when I'm writing I always will read it out loud to see how it sounds and yeah, I enjoy that process. I like the attention, but it is it it is quite different. Like people don't laugh in fiction readings, really. Even mm. if and sometimes they're like, "Oh, that was so funny afterwards," but like they're going, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're like in, in comedy, the crowd is meant to be like, you know, really wild, and they laugh, and you know, you'll pause and let them laugh, <laughs> and then you carry on. Um, but like, yeah, I think in fiction reading or in like literary readings in general with some exceptions the idea is you know you can't laugh because then you might miss a really important bit the next time sure. or something <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm laughing now <laughs> um one thing i just want to catch before we move on is this idea of narrative like um i am so interested in a sound like the one that cookie bought and also in a song like you bought like I feel like there's been this real I don't even know I don't want to say it in a bad way but you know it feels like for years there's been this drive of inciting incident rising tension climax you know like denouement some kind of you know thing and I feel like in music I'm just wondering how do we know when it's finished like how do we know that's the container that's going to hold that song like, do you know what I mean? Because often it hasn't got a once upon a time and then a happily ever after. So, yeah, I don't know. Have you got any thoughts on that? I mean, there's probably... I was thinking about that when I was walking here, listening to the song, because it's quite a long song. It's like five and a half minutes or something. And it it doesn't need to be that long. Uh, <laughs> and kind of, I think, I was kind of imagining how it was being made. And uh, like, I think he, we would have done the bass and the drum machine first recorded that and then built everything else around that and then he just played that for too long and had to work out how to <laughs> how to fill up the rest so it goes into this like big noisy bit and you think it's going to end but then it just keeps going after that and kind of goes back into this thing and then eventually it just kind of stops and that's quite interesting because I, I don't think it was a crafted song I think it was a jam that he did by himself like these are all just assumptions but jams do go on for way longer than you ever think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and You're like, I've been playing for two minutes. Whoa, 15, okay. <laughs> and, and they need to be edited, right? Like, and it's the same with like writing. If you do like free writing, you might come up with something great, but it's not, you, you know, you need to edit it down. But then if you're just going to chuck it up on the internet and move on, you don't, like it's not really that special. Mm. Mm. But I think talking about narrative, like when we came and introduced these songs, we, we did talk about narrative. It just was a personal narrative rather than mm. 
one that was like you could instantly get from listening to the sound and I think that's like with all art that's generally what it is it's not about the the work itself it's about what it does to you or like where you were when you read it and like those sorts of things so like I think that's where the narrative is for both of these sounds yeah it's really true because that was one of the things that I was very interested um you know like I um I'm trying to learn meditation and we do a lot of meditation with sound and like noises that reverberate and like finding that point where the sound stops and that's what I thought with yours like you know Mm. it's like and and also like there's a tone at the end of the clean song where you're like have we have we have we finished have we started I don't know like that's it. I've just got into meditation too from lockdown. <laughs> like the last two weeks, I was like, okay, this is the only choice. <laughs> but I found that when we listened to the song, and you were saying it's strange to just sit and listen to a song, and I was like, it was like meditation, like in that sense that you had to just sit with it, yeah, and listen to it, yeah, which was the same with that sound. It was like, with the bath sound yeah sitting and listening to it I was like oh it's just become this different sound like you can just disassociate from it so much more or something yeah yeah when when you were recording the sound I imagine you did you were you in the room with it when I it was, was yeah <laughs> so post bath <laughs> so you probably would have had to like be completely still, still and silent right because you weren't you were trying to like not breathe yeah Yeah, not influences yeah I was gonna ask about breathing like how was that it was interesting I was yeah it was really um standing with it I was like oh it's way less like I was like come on come on be be more but it was less than I thought I felt like I because I was so still it made the sound more still for some reason (laughs) yeah because that's I mean I'm always interested in that as well that reverberation between um yeah like this this is the device that I listen with this body and if this body is slightly agitated it it sound things can sound different do you think oh yeah yeah have you ever like walked to music and then like you know you're like arm brushing against your leg or something like you have to do that in time with the music otherwise it kind of ruins it and you kind of get like obsessive with this like sound I don't know if you can hear that from the thing but yeah (laughs) totally yeah it's so um that's I think this is what I think this is what it all comes down to with sound for me is the way that it does feel like this body kind of thing and with that in mind like um one of the meditation practices we do is that we meditate with unpleasant sounds well they're called unpleasant or uncomfortable and I was thinking in both these examples there is and I was thinking you were saying about the song going on longer than what you might expect or you know like it it feels like it's going to finish and then it doesn't and I'm thinking this idea of excess and discomfort you know like I think even there's the odd time in Strange Stains where there's a tone which sort of you sort of think I don't know if I can (laughs) and I just wonder if you've got any thoughts about that like yeah I I feel like I play on that all the time because I'm so sensitive to it I I have endometriosis and so one week of the month every month I can't handle a lot I'm in extreme pain (laughs) and I can't handle a lot of sounds because of it and it I find it really interesting because it's like on my second week of my cycle, I'm like, rawr, rawr, rawr. <laughs> I love all the, rawr, rawr, and I'm like, yeah, and like quite get into like uncomfortable sounds. And I feel like it's like my body going, yeah, like you can take anything this week, like, woo. And then the fourth week, all, and I was just, mm, ha, <laughs> my playlist totally changed because I can't handle any. It will be like something will come on my speaker or something and I'll be like, oh my gosh, it's, yeah, it really affects me. Yeah. Those sounds. And do you reckon, are you saying that you bring that into your work as well? Mm. Yeah. 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 I love doing that because it's like, it's almost like emotionally teasing it. Yeah. And finding when, like, when I like uncomfortable sounds and when I can't 
handle them yeah and also in your work there's often you know like there's often that mix of what you what might be conventionally known as beautiful and Mm. like you're saying those soft kind of you know those sorts of sounds and the disquieting sounds as well which is really cool yeah I feel like that as a person I feel like (laughs) I feel like I have a lot of like that like isn't necessarily pretty and it's just yeah there (laughs) we had this amazing talk yesterday ruby solly was talking about the um pressure to make nice sounds and especially some people are expected to make nice sounds more than other people are expected to make nice sounds and i just thought yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) we did say that (laughs) um and i think it is really interesting this idea of not nice sounds like mm. because they're so energizing eh? totally yeah like i think i have way less patience for like noise music and stuff than i used to like but i used to be like super into it and you know i'd go to these um they're called borderline ballroom in christchurch you might yeah they, they, they yeah. were around i don't know if they're still going but yeah you'd go and sit in the in this like side room of the media club and you'd sit down and people would do noise music and everyone would just be silent and listening to noise music and then there's stuff at High Street Project and things like that and I loved going there because I think I think I like got way too into music in like a shitty boring way where I like just thought too much about everything and I'd listen to a recording like hmm yes the drum sound in this is like this or hmm this like bridge is too long or something like that and then being able to go into a place where you just like cannot have any of those thoughts about sound because like the sounds don't make any sense uh and often they're like so loud that they're like overwhelming you can't do anything else because it's like you can't concentrate on anything else if it's just you've got these weird sounds around you and they are uncomfortable but um as you're saying like I thought it was like really meditative like that that experience because this I I was thinking about this idea of separating you know, because I'm thinking too much about it, but separating, <laughs> like, sensation with meaning and, you know, like, those are the points that I just love and, you know, I find them quite transcendent, sort of. But I was thinking, this is this is a big leap and you can totally disagree with it, but I was thinking in my own writing, I think that my enjoyment of those noises that sit on the precipice of pain, maybe, or sit on the precipice of just too much... Um, I think that that translates into my into my fiction you know I think sometimes like all I ever want to do is stay looking too long at something if you know what I mean and I was thinking about like I don't think it would be unfair to say that sometimes your writing does that as well or would that be unfair yeah yeah I think um like in in the book there's definitely uh some some moments which like are about uncomfortable like are, are, are an uncomfortable read and that was really hard for me because often when I like do anything write or um like perform or anything like the first thing I think of is like oh I want everyone to like me and think I'm nice and all of these sorts of things and making people uncomfortable doesn't really uh do that usually in like a personal relationship <laughs> but um yeah like I think to make to make the art good you have to make like people feel a range of emotions uh and not just like a safe happy story uh and I think yeah the 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 main one I'm thinking of in the book was uh The Wart where it explores um it's got like a yeah quite a graphic description of self-harm and like a lot of people have said that like oh that was a hard read and it's also it's the second story in the book and the first one is also quite uncomfortable uh which is funny because the rest of the book I don't think is anywhere near as uncomfortable uh so it's a it throws you in the deep end uh and yeah that was really hard to write it was one of the last things I wrote in the book and I'd been planning to write it for many years and it took me that long to like just get around to it and and make my like be able to do it and find myself doing it. I think the other one that was quite hard to write because I thought it was uncomfortable was Dog Farm Food Game, which is the first story which has 
like some sex scenes in it and I think I've, I've always been reasonably like prudish and um you know I remember like ever since like well, you know when I was 12 and everyone called you frigid <laughs> like that sort of thing and and like writing this was like it was so hard um again that story I think it was one of the first ones I started when I was doing the masters and it was the last story I finished when I was doing the masters so it took a long time and I think I've gotten used to uncomfortable stuff since then because I had a job for two years talking about sex with high schoolers <laughs> so <laughs> and and it consent and relationships so a lot of uncomfortable subjects in that and like yes I've gotten used to talking about uncomfortable things yeah and I was like, this is going to show my misunderstanding of how sound works. But I was thinking, I, f I found out the other day, which probably everyone else knows, is that there's only certain sounds that humans can hear. I should have known this for years. So it feels like as humans, we kind of live our lives in a frequency range or a you know loudness range or a highness pitch range that is you know is is tolerable and it feels like often when we're talking about discomfort in music and when we're talking about discomfort in story is that it's kind of shifting us into the things that aren't seen all the time or aren't heard all the time you know like they're kind of higher and and that's what I often think you know like um yeah I think so often in a book it, it's this weird um it's almost like breaking the manners, you know, like we have this strange thing where we all know what we're up to or we suspect that we know what everyone's up to, yet we sort of say this is the sanctioned area that we talk about and these are some areas that we don't. I don't know. Is that – that sounds silly. I don't know. Yeah, well, I was – I just thought of something about that with, um, like, your your book, which is – am I allowed to talk about your book? Okay. Talk about uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> like – if we're thinking about music that makes you uncomfortable, I think one of the things which is the most uncomfortable for me is like, like I think the super high things that are sort of painful, but in discomfort, it's like the sub bass, the like really, really low things. You can kind of feel it in your stomach and it kind of makes you sick. And yeah, you might not be able to actually hear it. And then when you're reading something where almost everything is in within the like, you know, the visible hearing range. And then like at the end of your book and the, the third part, you start to feel these things underneath which aren't written and you can't, you know, th think about them in a logical way, but you start to just feel this like discomfort. And I think that that works quite well there. Um, yeah, where there are things that, you know, aren't written or you can't hear them, but they're there and they're making you quite uncomfortable. Yeah, because I was thinking about like one of the hardest things to do is speak, isn't it? You know, like once you've, sometimes you can get away with a trip or a fall or something embarrassing like that. But like when you speak, it's kind of out there in a way. Or maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe it's the same with making visual art. But I was just thinking like sometimes you um, cookie put an effect on your voice so that it's 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 not you know, like it, it doesn't sound like it is when we talk. And I'm just wondering, what does that do to your relationship to, does that change anything? Like, do you yeah, think of it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, before I answer that, I just found it interesting talking about that because I can hear higher frequency, apparently, you know, the um, things that you plug into a wall to get mm -hmm. mice and stuff so they can hear oh, it. And I can hear that as well. Yes. My dad has it and it's, I, know. I can't spend any time in his house. Same. I'm like the only, it's the only house that I go is, yeah, going back to my parents' fuddy and then it's like they, I just go around the house being like, there's one, there's one. <laughs> it's like, they're weird, eh? It's like, yeah. and it does, it leaves this like, I feel like with uncomfortable sounds, they stay with you for longer. It's almost like a, a taste in your mouth or something. They, yeah. Yeah, once, when I, I, I worked for Radioactive making a podcast a long time ago, and uh, I, I initially was using a voice recorder that Radioactive had, and it was just a small, quite cheap one, and it just put a buzz on everything, and then when I was editing the podcast, I was like, had it on headphones, and then the whole way through, there was just this 
this like high-pitched buzz and you know it took me 15 hours to edit this podcast down because it's the first time I did it and like after taking the headphones off like I could hear the buzz for like a few days afterwards and I was like I can't keep using this recorder yeah like you can't stay with that sound for so long totally eh? it's weird because this um this sorry we're sorry I'm off on a tangent now because I this I I have exactly the same thing that you're talking about but when you were talking about it staying I was thinking oh it's that taste in your mouth and then you said that taste in your mouth and that (laughs) weird synesthesia you know like and I wonder I it was interesting because we were sort of trying to describe sound the other day in words and people were using um, words like woozy or muddy or you know and I was thinking we often borrow like what like the words for sound seem so limited we've got loud quiet (laughs) high low you know and a lot of them are kind of you know we borrow from other places and I wonder if that is because I think we experience sound is it because the sound waves go through our whole body true (laughs) everybody's looking at (laughs) me because that's yeah going back to your question about me putting effects on my voice I find that that if I'm giving my voice to other people, as you, you know, when you're <laughs> sharing your music, it's too much just giving myself. I find it really, I'm no, no. <laughs> I hear it and I'm like, ah. And I think it's part that and partly because I'm not a trained musician, I'm like, I don't know really how to sing. And so I've, come from this really like DIY background where I'm just like I want to sing not really caring about my voice and then as like I've gone on with music and like really listening to the different sounds I've like been like okay my voice is one thing that I do want to do in my songs but not as me (laughs) I want to make it an instrument of sorts so it's like almost like putting a cloak on and being like here you get you get me but with like a little bit of in a different form so then when it does go into you know when people do hear it they're like not yeah it's not so exposing yeah I I find that the 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 thing that comes to mind with that is this idea of like authenticity through throughout like all arts where people like I don't think it's a thing I think every time you make something it's authentic because you've chosen like how, what part of you to to show to the world and even people like because I'm often like called authentic in some way or like oh he's so true and vulnerable but I'm still choosing what to put out there like and there are things in my life that I would like never talk about and then there are things that I make up but because I have this like authentic voice people you know believe it and they trust it and I think it's interesting because like when you think about music with authentic voice it's often about people who don't have a like don't have musical training so their voice isn't perfect uh but yet they sing it but I think what you do is like the exact same thing it's just you've you're using another tool to to express that right like because totally yeah. yeah and it's like I don't want to be deemed a singer song <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a mask <laughs> making uncomfortable noises with a husky voice. <laughs> oh, I so relate. <laughs> and I think you know, I think it's so true what you're saying, Eamon. Like I remember um, when we looked at um, the um, you know 2,000 feet above worry level. I remember workshopping that. I hope it's okay to say this and. You know, I was convinced, convinced that the wasp, the the bee thing happened in Naseby. And like I have spent years going, raking over those sentences and seeing what you did to make that sound authentic. Do you know what I mean? Like what you did to convince me. And I don't know, like, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. I, I, I really like playing with truth in fiction and in and in non-fiction, like, so my, my comedy is always portrayed as non-fiction and my fiction is fiction, but, like, they're all both, like, truth and lies. And I think the thing is, like, just putting just enough true things in there and, like, admitting that some things are true. I think 
in the first drafts of that story, I called one of the characters Amon, which might have helped with that. Yeah. Bound to have. Yeah. <laughs> and like, <laughs> there was a wasp infestation in Naseby one year when I went camping, but it was like 20 wasps, <laughs> not the like thousands that are in the story. And you weren't getting paid out to um, bring no, them into the dairy? Not at all. We did have like a catcher near the campsite with um, like a bottle of fizzy with some fizzy leftover and was sort of turned in in itself. So that, that part was true. Man, I just ah. so love that. Hey, can I ask you a question? This is a question lots of people hate, but I really love it. And it's totally cool. <laughs> you don't have to answer it. But often people will ask where your ideas come from. And I'm just wondering, like, do you mind taking us through the genus? Like, wh- like, do you have a time that you sit down and make music and you just have to be creative in that time? Or does it come to you while you're walking? Or what, like, how, how do you... How do you start a song? Like, I'm just thinking like what Eamon was saying is there's kind of this, there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And yeah, what, what, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I always find it real interesting because it's like, it feels real separated. And then, so whenever it comes together, I'm like, ha ha, yay, like this one worked because I make my music not thinking about the lyrics that I'm going to do and quite often I'll make a song and then it will just be in the, you know, ether <laughs> or in my hard drive <laughs> on a USB and then you like find it again and you're like, oh my gosh, and then I can make that like backing beats on Ableton or whatever on my drum machine and then and just work on it and then um, quite often like I'll be having a bath or a walk or like yeah I try and I try to like just do activities where you're just like not doing anything and quite often I've found that that's when my songs lyrics come up because I like start thinking about something or quite often something annoys me and then I'm like me 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 oh yeah I could write that down or like record it and then um and then bringing that together and then I then quite often play the synth over top of that and that normally happens when someone says, you've got to play a gig in a week and I'm like, i got to get some songs together. <laughs> and I, qu- I quite often like, like you were saying with the comedy, I like to put a new song in to my set just to test it out on the audience because do you find with comedy that you um, are surprised what people... I always find when my songs, ones that I'm like, this is incredible. This is a hit. <laughs> this is so good. And then this other one that I'm like, ooh, but, you know, I'll just play it in the middle and no one will really notice it. And it's always that middle song. People come up afterwards and they're like, that one was so good. And the other one, the hit, I'm like, hmm. No one really noticed that. <laughs> yeah, like I think often, like off the cuff, jokes end up like being, people be like, oh, that was such a good joke. And I was like, oh, I, like, I, I don't even remember what that was. I just <laughs> respond to it. And then sometimes I'll like be like, oh, great. And then I do it the next day and it doesn't work because it doesn't have that energy behind it. Um, yeah, and like with comedy and with live performance, like, it'll change every night and there'll be a different energy in the room and sometimes that'll suit some things and not others better, yeah, I guess. Yeah, totally, eh? And that thing of coming back to authenticity, I guess it's those moments that people pick up on that you're just being like, oh, yeah, authentic. And it's like, yeah, you have to read the room, eh? Yeah. And, like, I've done a show, Respite, years ago, where, like, it was... A comedy show broadly but also like you know about a breakdown and some nights the mood in the room would just be sad and no one would laugh at all and I felt terrible about that because like I made a comedy show but people <laughs> people on those nights seem to like like it just as much as other nights but they just like were experiencing different emotions or like not knowing if it was okay to laugh and it's like well it's in the comedy festival or like something like that so like yeah it, it is but it's um 
yeah, it's really weird that the the room can change so many things, and that would be true of like listening to music on your headphones or reading a book as well. Like the way that you're feeling at the time is probably more important than the work itself. Yeah, it's so true. Which is interesting that I always find that when I'm recording a song, I have to listen back to it and like go for a walk and listen to it and you know yeah be in bed or like dancing or driving in the car (laughs) all these different activities that I'm like if it doesn't work for one of those I'm like oh but it's a I guess it doesn't have to as well that's that's kind of like mastering like when you master you're meant to listen to it on a really good stereo and a really bad stereo and a car stereo and shitty headphones and good headphones to make sure it sounds you know, appropriate on all of those things. So yeah. it's, you're, you're kind of doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like emotional mastering maybe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. How do I feel? How do I feel? <laughs> I was just thinking how for both of you, I was thinking um, that's the thing that I've, I've had to do one thing once where I've wanted people to laugh. Like it was a small, it was actually for your podcast. And like that, the thought that there would be silence was the most terrifying thing. And I was thinking about, again, you know when you're an audience member that laughing is revealing do you know what I mean like you can be in a dark theater and you could be picking your nose you could be doing anything but if you laugh loudly everyone's going to be like well what was that that yeah I just oh my god I just love it so much yeah and that's why like bombing sucks like so much and and yeah the nights where people felt it was like more sad than funny like I thought I bombed and then that wasn't the experience that the audience had but you know I'd still prefer people to laugh. Yeah, I, I like people laughing as well. It's I don't know why. It's huge, yeah. It's so, you're like, oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I even like it in performances. And it's so hard being up there by yourself, eh? And if you are bombing, I've had that with music. And it's just like, you're like, oh, no. We do. Like, it's so hard to come back from that. Yeah, and it, like this is kind of like tying back to Joseph, um, like I went and saw this gig and it was it was at Zebedee's. I think I was just about to turn 18. Joseph would have been 18 or 19. And he was asked to headline this gig because he, he was in this like band in high school, black market art that were, were huge. And some people from his old high school asked him to headline this gig. And then after the band before him played and he was setting up, everyone left apart from me. And I sat up on stage and watched him play like, you know, a 20 minute set or something. And like, yeah, I remember at that time being like, I have to clap and <laughs> and woo and like be, be a good audience for him because otherwise, yeah, like he doesn't have anyone. And like, you know, if I wasn't there, he probably, he, he would have just gone home, but I came especially to see him. And, you know, we were kind of friends at the time and I was like sort of near the beginning of our friendship. So yeah, that would, that would have been a really strange experience for him. Because that is such an interesting idea about, I don't know, like I get quite, because I think, I think there are so many people making stuff and not sharing it, you know what I mean? Like I was thinking how, um, you know, like I think my biggest desire is for other people to read it, but then there's a lot of people that are making music or, you know, like writing stuff and it's it's to make a noise in their own house or to make a noise in their own mind Okay, it's Pip here. Um, boop. Um, yeah, I'm just breaking the magic of the podcast. So what happened here, embarrassingly, and not for the first time during this podcast, is that my um, SD card ran out of space. Very embarrassing. Didn't buy a big enough SD card. But the conversation that sort of happened um, when we got the recorder going again um, was kind of interesting and I didn't want to um, sort of just seamlessly edit it out. So um, with permission from um, Cookie and Amon, uh, what you'll hear when I stop talking is just sort of a bit of the background (laughs) of the podcast um, where we have a bit of a chat about technology. Thank you very much. Was, do you feel satisfied with that? I feel very satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> I feel embarrassed about my SD card, but I'm very satisfied. <laughs> very satisfied. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> I love technology. Oh, my God. It so freaks me out. That's what I think is so huge about what you do. Like, you know what oh I mean? Like, oh, my I mean, gosh. I know. It's the technical. And it's like, it feels really 
almost spiritual where <laughs> you're like, if you've been a little bit mean to your instruments or whatever, they'll come back to bite you at the live performance that night. <laughs> yeah. yeah, doesn't like that you've got a flasher. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. It's <laughs> getting jealous. So what, how many, how much, sorry, we are recording. Um, how much, how much stuff would you take on stage? Like, do you take like a laptop, a secret, what do you yeah, take? Yeah, laptop, um, drum machine, synth that's connected to the drum machine, two pedals for my voice. <laughs> um, yeah, and at the moment that's, oh, oh I just got a Roland, um, um, Roland SOS-O4. X. Oh, sorry. It's got lots of, la, la, la. <laughs> <laughs> lots of letters in it. Lots of letters. Lots of letters in it. It's a sampler. So now over lockdown, I was learning how to use that. So it's it's not the S. Oh, sorry, a Roland 404, but it's not a SX. So that you can just, it's easier. But this one's the older version. But you can record like tapes and your voice and everything. So I've been recording my voice into that. So then now I can be even more cloaky and like do the synth and then do my voice with different <sighs> effects and stuff, which has been cute. Oh yeah. man, it just all sounds so exciting. It's so exciting. I know. I love. I, love I, I, I like. I, it, it is <laughs> nice. Eh? Okay, so. Um, we're getting near the end of time and I just wondered if I could ask you both one more question, which is what was the last thing you can remember listening to? Like, um, Cookie's got their, um, phone open. So yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you go, you go. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, I listened to the Beth's new album, Jump Rope Gazes, while I was walking here. Nice. Oh, cool. What about you, Cookie? Um, I have to mention because I did just listen to it even though it's come out a while ago and it was like a compilation that I was part of that's um, it's like the label A, Clo- a Cold Place and um, and then the compilation is called <laughs> um, but it's got amazing yeah so many good um, oh, I think it's just oh one point one maybe a cold place. Um, oh, sorry, that's my phone. <laughs> it's quite nice. It sounded beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the sound that comes with it. <laughs> yeah, but you, yeah, if you um look up at cold place, this um lovely person Cam has just started up this label, and then yeah. There's all these really cool artists on it. Oh, man, that sounds so exciting. Oh, God. I was listening to um, Jesus and Mary Chain. Awesome. Jesus and the Mary Chain? Anyway. The Jesus and Mary Chain. Thank you. <laughs> I knew there was a pronoun in there somewhere, but I didn't know where. It was wild. Um, thank you both so much for coming along. I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, you're both awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for thank me. you so much. You're also awesome. <laughs> Here is the exercise. Um, So in this episode, we talk quite a bit about difficult or uncomfortable sounds. And so this exercise is about discomforting sounds and the effect they might have on our composition. And it's pretty straightforward. All I thought was we could find a sound that we find hard to listen to. We could play that over headphones while we speak for 45 minutes um, into a recorder. So we're composing something. Um, It may be a spoken word poem. It may be sort of a form of description. It might fall more into prose. But we speak that out while we are playing this uncomfortable sound in headphones. I was thinking, um, I just did it before and it might be interesting to have the uncomfortable sound up loud enough that you can't fully hear your voice. Um, I found that quite interesting. Um, This will be uncomfortable. So um, yeah, look after yourselves because yeah, 
noises. Woo. Um, but yeah, um, I hope you enjoy it. If you um, like what you've recorded and would like to send it in to us to be part of the exercise showcase, which we're doing at the end of the season, you can email it to me at betterrednz at gmail.com or you can go to our website better-red.com and there's information there about how to get me those sound files. So yeah, have fun and um, yeah, thank you. Thank you.